Can you be quiet, please? Hello, and welcome to our first full episode of the Circular Economy Playbook, the podcast which shares real-world stories on circular matters that are reshaping London and the world. My name is Ali Moore from the London Waste and Recycling Board, otherwise known as LWARB, and I'm here with Wayne Hubbard, our CEO. Hello. Hi. It's exciting, isn't it, having a first episode? It is exciting. I'm a bit nervous, though. Why? Well, well, because it's our first full podcast, and we've been... We've been trying to do this for about two years, so uh, we decided in the end just to get on and do it. Yeah. So if it's a bit rough around the edges, that's all good, I It's think. all right. We've got it. Yeah. We've got it. So, our first episode, um, we would like to concentrate on what is this thing called the circular economy? Because a lot of people are talking about it at the moment. It's become a bit of a buzzword. It's not always entirely clear what we are talking about. So, while we've been out and about over the past few months talking to people about... Um, work that they're doing and uh, how that plays into the circular economy we've picked up a few interviews so one of the people we've spoken to while we've been out and about is john atchison who is the ceo and co-founder of an innovative buyback platform called stuffster um, and he came up with some very clear words which give us i think a pretty good place to start let's have a listen Well, the circular economy is really, I think, an inevitable um, shift in the way that we operate as a society in the sense that we can no longer afford to just mine materials, produce products, and then essentially bury those products with no further use of those materials. It just, it's incredibly wasteful, it's incredibly destructive, and it's not even economically the best way to approach things. So why can't we just carry on doing that then? Well, yeah, I mean, what, what John has identified there is um, the, the issue, I suppose, in a way, that the circular economy is trying to solve. So I think we need to just take one step back and say, uh, why can't we carry on doing that? Because, you know, some people say we can. Some people say we've, we've got loads of resources. We're not going to run out of oil anytime soon. We're not going to run out of gas supplies, you know. Um, but there's an interesting statistic, really, which, for me, um, it was my kind of light bulb moment. And um, I remember watching a presentation um, uh, at, um, it was a rap conference, actually, quite a few years ago now, probably around about 2012, 2013. And um, it was, uh, I think, a guy from Tesco's was actually given this presentation, interestingly. And um, he pointed out that the... Um, the population of the world's middle class uh, around about 2020 was was for the first time in the history in global history in humanity's history was going to be the majority of the population of the globe and that um, some some statistics here for example that that I've kind of subsequently looked at suggest that from a from when this when this particular work was done by the Brookings Institute that um, the, the global population of the middle class in 2016 is, is estimated to be around, or was estimated to be around, 3.2 billion, and by 2028 it will be 5.2 billion. So that increase of 2 billion wow. over that short period of time, 2 it's billion consumers, in, it, it's incredible. It, it, it's very difficult to even kind of think about what what that means. 
in in people terms but in um, if you imagine all of those middle class consumers wanting to consume in the same way that in the global north that we consume predominantly in Europe and North America there, there just isn't the resources on this planet mm. we would massively exceed yeah. uh, the planetary boundaries we have already but we just don't have the capacity to provide the same amount of consumption to feed a demand from the middle class consumers. But it's interesting that we talk about ourselves as consumers even because it's only just really struck me that we talk about ourselves as consumers as if somehow it is part of our DNA and our definition to consume stuff. Why don't we talk about ourselves as, I don't know, doers or sharers or users or something other than consumers? Why don't we just shift that? Okay, well... We call uh, the, the current way we operate the linear economy and um, you'll probably have heard people refer to it in, in, in the way that we extract materials, we use things or we consume them and then we dispose. So take, make, dispose is, is often how that's expressed. So that's appropriate that we're called consumers because we literally do consume stuff. We take mm. it out of the earth, um, we consume it and then we throw it away. Yeah. And that is the linear economy. Um, in a circular economy, we have some business models. At Airworld, we find it particularly useful to refer to these five business models. These are business models that were identified in a, a study by Accenture. Um, uh, and there's a book called Waste to Wealth, which um, talks about these business models. And I'm going to simplify them into, into five archetypes. So Excellent. Business model number one, which addresses your point about consumers is um, something called servitization. Mm -hmm. So we, instead of consuming something and throwing it away, we get that something offered to us as a service and we purchase it probably as a, a subscription. Um, like? Like, for example, the one that's often expressed is light. Um, so instead of buying light bulbs, we buy light. And then the company... In this context, it might be Philips, provide you with a, a lighting specification to your requirements, or, and then they'll provide the hardware, they'll provide the light bulbs. Mm -hmm. okay. They'll make them very efficient because it's in their interest not to have to bear the cost of throwing this thing away. Um, whereas in a linear economy, that's reversed. It's in the interests of lighting manufacturers or light bulb manufacturers to sell you light bulbs. So they don't really want to make them everlasting. Okay. So, um, so an office could buy lighting as opposed to light bulbs and it will reduce waste. Is there anything like that a citizen, ordinary consumer, I'm going to use that word, would recognise in that? So well, like a, things that a we do consumer every day. would buy a washing machine and when yeah. the washing machine broke, yeah. because typically they're not really built to be fixed, um, a consumer would buy a washing machine, it would break, they would have to they would have to take it to the local recycling centre and buy another washing machine. A user might um, buy a service from a washing machine manufacturer mm -hmm. and in, in the context of uh, washing machines, they would ideally buy washes, so they'd pay per wash. And yeah. in this particular scenario, actually, the washing machine would be um, provided and all of the water and electricity costs associated with that wash would be included in the subscription. Okay, and and presumably similarly to the lighting example, it would be then in the washing machine manufacturer's interests to make those washing machines 
unbreakable. They would be in their interest to make those washing machines uh, durable, fixable, modular. It would be in their interest to make them efficient, mm-hmm. both in terms of water use and electricity, because if we could ha- envisage a system where they were paying for those costs entirely, yeah. then the more efficient they make them, the more profit they're making out of the transaction. Nice. So here we are now having shifted all of the incentives around and incentivized the manufacturer to innovate around efficiency. Yeah, which benefits everybody, doesn't it? And it frees the, um, the citizen... Yeah. they're now a citizen they're, not alone, they're no longer a consumer it frees them from the burden of ownership so they haven't got to ring the repair person um, every time the thing breaks they haven't got to take the thing down to the, to the local recycling centre yeah. um, and they don't have to pay they haven't got the to pay 120 costs. quid for the dishwasher repair person to come out as I did last week oh, well. fantastic well, and we've all got a story I think I mean I had to replace a washing machine because the hose broke because yeah. it wasn't fixable but of course in the in the servitization world it will all be easily fixable and maybe even they'll have band maintenance and that will be part of the internet of things and this this washing machine will beep the repair person to come oh. around and do a a, a pre uh, preemptive repair well that's a subject for another day isn't it so okay well that's brilliant that sounds good that's business model number one servitization we ding. should have a ding we should yeah. right business model number two then what are we moving on to next um, sharing. Good. Well, what's, that seems obvious. Sharing stuff. It I'm, is obvious. That's exactly what it is. <laughs> it's basically about um, utilising underutilised capacity. So a good example of this is the car. The car? Uh, now, there's a stat um, that the Ellen MacArthur Foundation have come up with that um, the average car in Europe is sits idle for... 98% of its time, something ridiculous like that. Yeah. So it would be obvious, wouldn't it, if we better utilised car usage, we'd have mm. less need for buying new cars. So that's one example. Okay, um, so more than, so my car, I live in central London, Yeah. I've got a car, I use it maybe two weeks a year. So if I would share the costs of that and the running of that, so we all share, we all buy a car together. Well, in this co- I or mean, do I own a car and just let other people use the it? The obvious solution here would be car clubs. Ah, yes, of course. So you, you, you have a car that's a community car and, mm. you, and you access that car when you need it. That would be good. So things like the community fridges that we've seen around the place for sharing food as well and oleo. Exactly. In the context of a city, also office space. Yeah. We have massive underutilisation of office space and yet we're still building new buildings uh, to accommodate the growth of our cities. So if growth in, in physical terms could be constrained because we're better utilising existing assets, mm. then that would uh, reduce the need for consumption. Great. Okay, so there's two nice practical uh, business models that we've talked through. Um, number one, servitization. Number two, sharing. Shall we go back and have a listen to what some of our interviewees said about what the circular economy meant to them. My name is Nadina Khala and I am the co-founder of Green City Watch and the research fellow at Metabolic. To me, the circular economy means living in a world that is truly regenerative, 
where our actions on the environment are purely positive and we genuinely and authentically leave the world a better place than how we found it. So that actually sounds hard to me. That sounded pretty daunting. I mean, it's very aspirational and inspirational in lots of ways, but it, it, it felt like that might be too difficult. I think from where we're sitting today, um, facing the climate emergency that we face, it, 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 does, it does seem difficult, but it, it's kind of what we've got to do. So, um, you know, we don't really have much of a choice, really. Well, we do. If we don't do it, we'll get it imposed upon us. Discuss, uh-huh. discuss. But the, <laughs> that leads me on to the third business model, um, which we call Design for Durability, but incorporates a lot of aspects around um, repairability, disassembly, modularity, um, remanufacture, all of these things which we can we can talk about in future podcasts, but essentially um, design for durability. I mean, and also mm. just good old-fashioned making things well-built. Mm. So I've got a beautiful pair of uh, DMs, DMs for life, which I paid an extra, I don't know, 30 quid for over and above the normal price, and they'll repair them forever until the day I die <laughs> until the day I die they will keep repairing them and if they can't repair them they'll replace them yeah so I mean that's a great thing so you paid a bit extra uh, for something that is designed to be repaired um, with, mm-hmm. it's des- with that in mind it's probably designed to, to last longer yeah so, I hope so yeah so um, uh, you know that's 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 the design for durability model it strikes me that um, our grandparents probably had modular clothing what do you mean like well like what kind of items i'm pretty sure that um you know my granddad had what we used to call when i was a kid at school granddad shirts yeah remember those yeah yeah, without the collars yeah so the collars oh yeah the collars came off the collars came off so that you could um keep them for best keep them for best um because they were the things that wore out yeah so and i think even cuffs yeah I thought, I thought Hence you were talking. the expression, collars, collars and cuffs. Collars and cuffs, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Are we allowed to say that? Yeah, I think so. But I thought that you were talking about something like, um, you know, like in The Sound of Music, when she makes clothes out of curtains. Right. Is that... No, that's something different. That's, something that's different. a different, that's business, a different model. business model. That yeah. is a different business model. So but, that, but essentially, you heard it said a lot of these things aren't new, but I think in the 21st century, we were able to deploy technologies to, to really mainstream these these kinds of things so we use exchange platforms like stuff stuff to mm. exchange products and make them last longer we can deploy internet of things as we talked about to understand when something needs maintaining or mm. repairing without you, you know waiting for it to break and potentially make matters mm. worse mm. yeah that all makes sense and presumably then so one of the things that we do as an organization is we work on reuse in some of our some bits of our work so we have a campaign which is all about donating and reusing and uh, uh, clothes and yeah. buying second hand love not landfill um, so presumably reuse is something which is enabled by things being designed to be more durable yeah absolutely yeah. so one of the problems with um, fast fashion is uh, clothing that's not designed to be durable yeah and it falls apart and it falls apart so okay. then you have to recycle it or convert it downcycle it or upcycle it, I guess. But, yeah. you know, essentially, quite often these things get turned into rags. Yeah. And that's a single use, and then it's disposed of. Yeah. So what we need to do is uh, um, design clothes so that they can ideally be disassembled down mm. to their basic components and then reassembled into new clothing. 
So this is the holy grail of clothing, isn't it? It is. So that was model number three, designed for durability. Number four then, Wayne, what's number four? So I'm gonna conflate four and five because they are both related. Okay. Um, so four uh, is um, using secondary materials. So what most people would understand as uh, materials that have had a life, they're recycled products or, or um, you know, basic uh, recycled products as a feedstock for your thing, for your trainer or for your machine or for your paper or for whatever mm. it is. So making stuff out of old stuff. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. So, but you know, the, in this in this scenario, obviously the 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 raw material instead of you extracting it from uh, from the ground, you extract it from the environment around us. So we mine the environment for those raw materials, like ocean plastics, to to, to trainers or whatever it may be. Yeah. Um, and then the fifth business model is making your thing recyclable. So making it so that um, it can be easily disassembled and recycled. So uh, an ideal one would be making clothing. So the threads could be turned back into basic thread and then made into new clothing or um, making it so you don't laminate stuff so it's really difficult to recycle it, making Mm. it out of single polymers, making things and designing them to be recyclable. That's our fifth business model. Okay, so we've got a great clip, I think, um, from a garment manufacturer um, on that whole theme of getting stuff which is not wanted and used in the in the original product and turning it into something else that can then be built into another new product my name is Ifaz Ahmed I am a director at Epex Holdings Limited it's basically a holding company for a family business in Bangladesh well, the circular economy is not just where you're taking, you know, the full cycle from raw materials in India to production in Bangladesh to sales in the US or Europe or China and then post-consumer waste. I mean, there's different levels of uh, circularity that can be um, enacted uh, from a very small uh level what we are doing is we are actually creating closed loop systems within our production cycles so one example would be that we are um, selling our scraps so we are partner we've partnered with a mechanical recycler in bangladesh and we give them our scraps which they turn into new yarn and after which we actually procure that yarn and we're able to make fabric and garments according to customer specification That's one example. Another one is also we're working with um, some uh, brands in Canada where we're taking our, again, garment uh, cutting waste and we're giving them new life by turning them into children's garments. Because the fabric is from organic cotton, it's safe, it's made for infant wear, but because they're scraps, they don't usually get used, but this brand has taken the initiative to design garments and uh, kind of work with us to develop a process that we can use on an industrial scale for using these cutting floor scraps. So the thing I thought was really interesting in that, I mean lots that's really interesting in there obviously, but the Ifaz was talking about um, loops within loops that he's saying that we don't just have to do things at a macro scale in the circular economy, we can do things at the micro scale. Is that 
is that a, a, a model that you recognise? Okay, so what, what we're going to be doing um, a little bit now and then in future episodes is overlaying a bit more sophistication because obviously it's more nuanced than just five basic business models. Of course. Um, some of you will have seen, I'm sure, what's commonly referred to as the butterfly diagram. And this is a diagram that was produced, uh, popularised and produced by the Ellen MacArthur Foundation, which basically shows loops on what's called the technical side of um, the circular economy and the biological side. And um, there'll be inner loops and there'll be outer loops. And there's this thing called the power of the inner loop. So uh, typical traditional recycling, which um, you use something, it gets through an industrial process, gets converted back into uh, that thing again, um, yep. paper into newspapers. Mm -hmm. um, that's called uh, closed loop recycling. And um, that's where the material goes back into a material. And these, and the further, the more closed the loop, the tighter the loop, the more usable it is. When you get to things like, um, let's say glass to aggregates, for example, you get one use of that, or, or, or plastic to drain pipes, mm. it's one use, so you don't have these continual inner loops. So they're in the, in the traditional butterfly diagram, the outer loops. Okay. So we want to bring things inside and not outside. So there are hierarchies of recycling, if you like. Sure. So yeah. it's a lot more nuanced. And um, uh, the whole thing, the whole uh, circular economy has enabling factors. We've talked about the Internet of Things, but artificial intelligence, tech, the smartphone, virtualization. These are all things that feed in to enabling the circular economy. And um, in fact, our team here, Advanced London, have developed quite a sophisticated way of talking about the circular economy. So we're going to we're going to probably explore some of those in future episodes. Brilliant. And so, in terms of uh, reaching those inner loops, we've also got some other stuff that we've gathered along the way. Um, so Adidas are trying to do this thing where they actually create a shoe out of shoes. So a perfect example of one of those really tightly closed loops. So they've got this new shoe that they've produced, which you buy and then you take it back, they put it through some kind of grinder and they turn it into another shoe. So I'm David, I'm part of the Adidas group, uh, working out of the German headquarters. And um, within Adidas, I'm part of the brand strategy organization, looking particularly into new business models and commercial opportunities for the brand around um, the circular economy. As a brand, obviously, I realize um, the constraints that the linear model has brought upon um, the industry and, and the world and the planet and the challenges that has caused in terms of amounts of waste across industries, across sectors, across societies. And um, so five years ago, we started to get off that model with um, working with Poly for the Oceans and intercepting ocean plastics and turning ocean plastics into products. Um, we started with one shoe, one statement of intent that the brand made five years ago. Um, from that one shoe, we scaled to a couple of thousands, to a million. We then did five million. And this year, um, we'll do 11 million um, units of um, ocean plastic product. 
which for us is, is, um, has been a great learning curve, really understanding how that concept of getting waste, turning it into products, not only, not only um, yields beautiful product, but also resonates incredibly well with the marketplace. And really work against a insight of, um, of consumers aiming to find platforms to really make a difference and through their choices, through their day-to-day -day behavior. Um, and make that difference on the same terms um, compared to what's important for them. So we are not taking the approach of designing for, um, for circularity in a very bespoke way from a look and feel perspective. If you look at Parlay for the Ocean's product, it looks like it looks and it behaves like Adidas products. Um, it's what the what consumers expect from us. So uh, that's what what we do. And however, a couple of months back, we did that that insight struck us off. Um, even though it's it's recycled product, at the end of its use, it's still being thrown away. Um, yet there there is no away. It's just somewhere else. And really that brought us into, into circularity thinking in a way, playing um, and designing the journey beyond, beyond product, asking ourselves, how do we engage with consumers once they own product? Um, how do we ensure we can reclaim product? What level of transparency do we need to build? What level of consumer relationship do we need to build to ensure we can reclaim product at the end of use? And obviously, how can we feed that into the respective recycling streams, uh, which are either publicly um, set up or which we would need to build um, in, in certain cases. So that's been our journey so far. Looking forward, what does circularity mean for us? That's really to be explored. Um, the definition is incredibly vast and um, there are so many angles you can take to circularity. There are so many um, levers you can start to work on from product creation, product design, to supply chain efficiency, to um, designing for circularity, and also beyond um, to how consumer engagement models work. Um, and then obviously how, how to feed into the respective recycling streams to ensure that that product and material is being reused in, in the supply chain. Yeah, and I, I like what, you know, what David said there was there is no away. You can't throw these things away. There is no away. So they've kind of hard-baked that into their design process. So, you know, a shoe into a shoe, perfect. It's wonderful. It's yeah. uh, as a as a product, as a material thing. That's about, I guess, as good as you can get. It is. It feels like the archetype of circular economy, like the god product, doesn't it? It's, <laughs> like it's the perfect thing. It's yeah. Like, let's make everything out of what it was already. Yeah, exactly. I mean, so I don't. I don't know. Maybe maybe somebody's done some work on hierarchies there. Of, you know, of of maybe virtualization is is the best thing so you know we've turned a material thing into a virtual thing and we access its use through uh, technology and then maybe if we have to have a thing 
then build it to last and share it so it's maximum it's utilized to the maximum and mm. then if that thing ends its life then we can convert it back into the same thing in a, in a closed loop manner so so what you're saying now is that all of these models even though we there are these five useful models to think about that none of them are exclusive no they're the building blocks they're 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 always and often used together yeah. Um, so you know you might find uh, so you might be leasing a washing machine that is designed for durability it's modular it accesses the circular economy uh, accesses the internet of things for um, predictive maintenance in fact it might even be shared so mm. you might share your access to that washing machine who knows so you, these things are not exclusive they're meant to be done together and in fact the, the more these things these business models are mixed together the more circular, I guess, um, we're going to get. Great, thank you. Well, that was a whistle-stop tour. Yeah, but now with that, with that, with those five business models, you have the basic tools at your disposal to understand the circular economy. And if you look around the world, um, you probably look at it slightly differently. If you're walking along, looking at your phone, accessing some media content, you're accessing the circular economy. You know, so. Um, you'll probably find, if you start to think about it, the circular economy is actually um, part of your life and you didn't even know it. And uh, yeah. that's only going yeah. to be, it's only going to get more so. Yeah. But that would be the holy grail as well, wouldn't it? In a way that nobody needs even to know that they are accessing the circular economy. Yeah. It kind just of been, becomes part of the way we live. I think, I think so. I think, um, I think that is true. Uh, but the more I think about this, you know, my, my, my thinking evolves and changes. I mean, that is the ideal situation, but I think we have to go out there and um, uh, arm people with the right tools so that they can, uh, you know, live their lives in a more circular way or in a more sustainable way. So um, you, people are, are, I think, citizens are ahead of us. They're ahead of us in, in, in this project. They're already doing lots of stuff that they don't call circular, but is circular. Um, and we need to kind of help them now and accelerate that, that change to a circular economy because we've, we know what we've got to do. We know we've got to hit that Paris Agreement target and um, there's a climate emergency. Absolutely. So that was, um, that was our first podcast. Thank you for listening. Um, we will be back with the next one in the next month or so um, hoping that it's going to be about fashion I think, is that right? Yes, I think so, it sounds, it feels, it feels right so when will that be? That will be sometime in September In September, it's got to be about fashion It has, London Fashion Week The September Lots issue Lots happening, yeah, September issue will be a fashion issue so We should get a guest editor Yeah. He's famous Yeah. We're let's... not going to do that are we? No, I think it will be me <laughs> Um. <laughs> You're famous, Hallie. Yeah, I'm famous enough. I'm famous enough. Okay, thank you again for listening. This uh, podcast is brought to you by the London Waste and Recycling Board. Uh, available on our website, which you already know because you're listening to it at lwarb.gov.uk. Um, and watch out on our social media channels for a notification of the next one. So on Twitter, we are at lwarb. L W A R B. And on LinkedIn, just type in London Waste and Recycling Board and you will find us. Give us a follow, give us a like. Thank you very much. Goodbye.